Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 601 for the 15th of July, 2018. This week, data protection firm Cyber Reason says Macs are now one of the most serious security threats in businesses and other enterprises. That statement will surprise a lot of people and anger some, but it shouldn't be rejected. In short circuits, it has been 20 years since Apple introduced the iMac, a computer so different from previous Apple computers that it nearly created a user revolt. But it also set the stage for Apple's current successes. If you ever need to help friends fix problems with their computers, you'll want to check out Aero Admin. It's a screen sharing support tool with an amazingly capable free version. In spare parts only on the website, the monthly Microsoft patches that were released this week correct 50 flaws, of which 17 are critical. At Malwarebytes has just released a version of their protective application for iOS devices. Most computer users, even those who use Windows exclusively, often think that Macs are more secure. Although once there was some validity to that point of view, it has not been accurate for quite some time. And those who write malware are increasingly developing attacks aimed at Macs. Dan Petrillo of Cyber Reason says that's particularly risky in business environments because just a few vulnerable Macs can make it possible for an attacker to get inside the network. It doesn't matter if the environment is comprised of mainly protected Windows machines because a few vulnerable Macs can be enough to cripple these defenses and it can be the weak link that an attacker leverages to achieve their goal. Cyber Reason provides enterprise-level protection and monitoring for corporate networks, so they're in a position to see trends as they develop. The company offers ransom-free without cost for home users. Although this discussion addresses the dangers that Macs introduce in a business environment, it is worthwhile for those of us who have Macs at home to consider. At one time, Macs were such a small target that crooks didn't bother with them. Macs were also somewhat more resistant to earlier threats because of the underlying Unix operating system. But the threat landscape has changed, and protections for the Mac OS are lagging behind those offered for Windows computers. Petrillo says that Mac use in business settings is increasing, even though Mac overall usage is stagnant. That alone makes Macs a more attractive target for crooks. Nearly all enterprises have some Macs, and nearly half of all large businesses offer users a choice between Windows and the Mac OS. Windows machines are generally well protected, but a lack of understanding about Mac OS security has left a lot of Macs unprotected, and just a few unprotected Macs can be enough to allow attackers to compromise the network. 
Business computers are more lucrative targets than home computers, and CyberReason considers three general classes of users to be of interest to crooks. The first group is going to be designers, um, UI, UX, product people, and these usually don't have too much valuable information from, from an attacker's perspective, but they'll often be used as a way to get data from an open network or a, additionally a way to move laterally to other machines in the network that might be their actual target. The second group is going to be developers and DevOps, and these are a little bit more desirable from an attacker's perspective. And these are people who, engineers who prefer working with Macs, engineers, developers, DevOps who prefer working with Macs over PC. And they are close to two interesting assets. One is source code and the other is critical dev environments. So the stealing of source code is a common MO for stealing IP and things like that. It's a common MO for Chinese hackers and the like. It's also in terms of the fact that they have access Access to critical dev environments, it can be a means of executing on supply chain attacks. And the third group is going to be senior management. So these are really the, the main goal of attackers. These are C-level executives, usually hold interesting information to be used for corporate espionage, um, extortion, or simply information that will be sold to the highest bidder. And in organizations where IT departments require windows, it's often the corporate executives who can make exceptions to this rule and get a Mac if they want to, and they often do. The danger is exacerbated by the belief that Macs don't need much protection, and that makes them increasingly a very attractive target. There are several reasons, Petrillo says, that Macs are considered less of a threat. One, the Mac is safer perception. So in general, people feel safe and therefore they take less precautionary measures. Additionally, not a lot of security products or safeguards are developed for Mac. Additionally, Apple introduced robust defense mechanisms only in the past few years. So contrast that with Windows, where they've had decades of learning, <laughs> learning the hard way about how to deal with vulnerabilities and deal with the fact that they are the primary attack surface that hackers are using. And it's also easy to see how each version of Mac introduced new security features, and they're often quite basic compared to Windows. Additionally, every vulnerability is a critical vulnerability. Because there are not as many, each one is going to be exposed to its fullest. Additionally, Apple is not issuing service packs at the same rate as Windows, and they're not quite as attentive as Windows because they really haven't had to be. Dan Petrillo says that most of the attacks aimed at Macs in a business environment are intended to exfiltrate data, and increasingly the attacks are fileless, meaning that nothing is presented to a security system that can easily be identified as malware. Fileless malware has evolved just as standard applications have. The attacks are continuously improving and becoming more sophisticated, but they can be traced all the way back to TSR applications. Remember Terminate and Stay Resident? TSR technology was developed early in the life of personal computers, and it was used for helpful applications that remained in memory to watch for certain actions by users. Soon, though, crooks realized that they could use TSR applications. Fileless malware is not written to disk. It remains in the computer's memory. 
essentially a terminate and stay resident application. So because nothing is ever written to the computer's hard drive, it's difficult for standard protective applications to spot it, and it leaves virtually no evidence that can be used by investigators to identify fraudulent activity. I really think we're going to see an increase of fileless attacks on Macs. Considering how prevalent they are and growing on Windows machines and how easy it is to run them on Macs, I really don't see any reason why that attackers wouldn't start using this vector. It's effective on Windows machines. It circumvents a lot of the, t uh, the defense tools that are used on these. And because the, the defense mechanism are less mature on Mac than they are Windows, these fileless uh, attacks are going to be really effective for attackers to use. So I would say the future trend of Mac attacks is the growth of the increased prevalence of fileless attacks is going to spread to Macs just as it has on Windows. But perhaps the most dangerous threat to organizations comes from attacks that are aimed at companies that provide products and services for the organization. These are called supply chain attacks, and they are increasingly common. It's a topic we've looked at before. Crooks aren't stupid, you know, but they are lazy. When they can develop an attack on a third-party vendor that works with dozens or maybe even hundreds of corporations, they'll do that because then they can avoid having to find ways to introduce their malware into each and every individual company. Supply chain attacks against vendors are on the rise, and that's no exception for Mac. So basically in a supply chain attack, the attackers will hack legitimate software, insert code to make the software malicious, and the users download it without realizing that that software is malicious. This is a incredibly powerful mechanism that they use and is the primary reason that attackers are going after this third-party software. I'm sure that Cyber Reason's Dan Petrillo means no disrespect for the Mac OS or for Apple, nor do I. After all, at the right of the Windows PC, I have a Mac OS PC. And on the left of the Windows PC, there's a Linux PC. Although I use the Windows PC more than the others, I respect those who created the operating systems. But I also try to maintain enough objectivity and reason to ensure that I avoid needless risk. In Short Circuits, we were just speaking about Mac OS computers. I may have explained previously how I came to own my first Mac. After spending all week in the Javits Convention Center for PC Expo in 2001, I went downtown to take a look at Macs. When I got on the plane at LaGuardia to come back to Columbus, a G3 MacBook came along with me. It was the last of Apple's computers that ran System 9, and it came with the first version 10.0 of OS X. There is a certain amount of irony involved in spending a week at a Microsoft-centric computer show in the Big Apple and then buying a Mac to bring home. That computer was in use for 10 years. But after spending a few days with System 9, I realized that even the not-quite-ready OS X was better. So my understanding of Mac hardware and system architecture dates only to the earliest days of OS X. And by the way, should it be OS X or OS X? Back then, I thought it should be X because it was based on Unix. Most Mac users, though, seem to feel it should be 10 
because Roman numeral X is 10 and 10 follows 9, so for years I called it OS 10. But X seemed to be winning when Apple pulled the rug out from under the whole thing and changed the name to Mac OS. In typical Apple fashion, the company styled Mac OS with a lowercase m instead of an uppercase m. But, you know, proper nouns in English are capitalized, and I have always styled the name with a capital M. That's also true for the iPad, the iPhone, and all of the other i things from Apple. A couple of years before I bought my first Mac, Apple had released the first iMac, the ones with plastic cases in a variety of pastel colors, no disk drive, no serial port, no SCSI port, and no Apple desktop bus port. People who owned printers or disk drives or scanners and other peripherals that depended on serial or SCSI or ADB connections had to buy new devices. Or they could buy adapters that would allow the existing devices to work with the iMac's USB technology. USB, borrowed from Windows. Apple has frequently been ahead of the curve with hardware, switching from 5.25-inch floppy disks to those hard-shell 3.5-inch disks, and then dropping removable disks entirely in favor of optical disks. Many Mac users were very unhappy at the time about the elimination of ADB and SCSI and serial communications ports, but they got over it. So, happy 20th anniversary to the iMac. Anyone who has tried to help a distant friend resolve a computer problem probably knows the frustration of trying to explain how to accomplish a task without being able to see the other person's screen. If it's your next door neighbor or somebody who lives down the street, it's easy enough to just go there. But if you're in Ohio and the person you want to help is in Utah or California, a visit becomes a bit more difficult and certainly a lot more expensive. For many years, I used the free version of Log Me In, and we had a paid version at the office. Then the company dropped the free version, and the least expensive paid version costs $350 a year? Well, that's not in the cards for somebody like me who occasionally needs to help a friend or a relative. Some years, I might use a program like that a dozen times, so 30 bucks per use? Most years, though, it's more like two or three times. So I've been searching for other options. And I think I found one. Twice in the past week, I've needed to assist friends who are too far away for a house call, and I found Aero Admin. There is a paid version with more features, but the free version turns out to be more than sufficient for what I do. Better still, it doesn't have to be installed, either on my computer or on the computer owned by the person I'm assisting. The person who's requesting assistance runs the application, obtains an ID number, tells me the ID number, and then accepts a connection from my computer. After that, I can control the computer as if I was sitting right in front of it, no matter whether the computer is in Salt Lake City or Berlin. The remote user will provide a number that's provided by Aero Admin on their computer. I type that number into Aero Admin on my computer, Select Remote Control and Connect. It's even possible to connect to more than one computer simultaneously. 
The free version does limit that to two computers. I'll show you an example on the TechFinder Worldwide website of a session with a desktop computer and a notebook computer at the same location and the Skype connection that we use to discuss progress during the call. The remote session can provide full control or allow you to just see what the user is doing. Now there isn't a way to switch between those modes during a session, but that's really not a significant problem. Chances are for most sessions you're going to want to do one or the other. The free version is limited to 17 hours of use per month, two simultaneous connections, and a total of 20 separate connections per month. It does not include a chat option. It does not support remote printing. Paid versions at $70 to $130 a year do add some features and remove some of the limitations. But seriously, if you're providing online support for more than 17 hours a month, and for more than 20 computer users, you are in business, and you should be using the paid license. So if you're somebody who needs a remote control application just every now and then, or you're in business and you need a remote control application every day, check into Aero Admin. It looks like a pretty darn good choice. You'll find a link to the Aero Admin website on the TechBiter Worldwide website. And while you're on the TechBiter Worldwide website, check out Spare Parts because that is, after all, the only place you'll find it. This week, the monthly Microsoft patches that were released this week correct 50 flaws, of which 17 are critical. And Malwarebytes has just released a version of their protective application for iOS devices. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website www.techbiter.com and if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.